I will set out for Gaul myself and confront our enemies. They will learn the error of their ways. But why might early Christians have called Nero the Antichrist? I will quash my deluded enemy, not with the sword. I intend to sing to them. Nero has lost his mind. Stephen Dando Collins is an Australian historical author who, like me, once sold his soul to the gods of marketing and advertising, but has been working hard to redeem himself ever since. He was last on this show on February the 25th, 2015, talking about Caesar's wow. assassination in the Civil War. Remember those days pre-Trump? Was there, remember the world yes. before Trump, before so- COVID? Wow. We were so innocent. We were. His, yeah. his new book is about the great Jewish-Roman war entitled Conquering Jerusalem. How's life in Tassie, Stephen? Uh, very chilly, Cam. <laughs> very chilly. <laughs> I have been uh, – this. I met some people. I was at the Australian Whiskey Awards uh, in Sydney a couple of months ago, and I met a lovely couple sitting at my table who own some sort of a uh, resort in Tasmania, and they were uh, they they asked me to be their writer in residence down there, and offered me to come mm-hmm. down. Uh, my wife and I have been looking for a good excuse to come down. Um, they shouldn't, you shouldn't need an excuse. Right? Unless you're living in Melbourne, the, 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 the doors are open to you. Yeah, well, that's just one of those things. I know that if I book tickets. Two days before I book tickets, you'll go into lockdown and uh, I won't be able to <laughs> yeah. go, you know. It's just... It's, it's personal. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the perils. When when COVID locked us down last year, uh, Tasmania, very fortunately, uh, you know, didn't have that many cases. And toward the end of the year, um, uh, the state opened up uh, to locals. And uh, so we, my wife and I took out the bucket list and did things that we morning to, had want, been wanting to do, places we wanted to see uh, for a long, long time. And uh, uh, we were amazed. All the, the hotels and resorts and attractions were absolutely packed mm. uh, by Tasmanians mm. getting out, mm. supporting, the, the, supporting local uh, tourism. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was fantastic. Well, if there's one silver lining, I think that's it of COVID, is that people are getting out and exploring their own countries. My mum told me she's just booked a trip to Uluru. She's 75, never been. She and her f- girlfriend are going in a couple of months, so that's nice. Uh, she would have gone overseas if it, you know, if she could. Anyway, let's talk about other things. Um, Ray, you, you're first off yeah. the cab, surprisingly. Okay. Well, uh, again, I, I did read your book before this, and it was an absolute roller coaster of a ride of an experience. I thank you very much for that. Uh, I understand the situation a lot more. But to give the revolt, to give the war uh, some context, can you give us an idea of how long Jerusalem had been under Roman control before things went pear-shaped? Uh, so for a long time, uh, Judea had been a separate kingdom uh, with Herod the Great uh, as the ruler for uh, many decades. Uh, and he had a number of children. And uh, they, uh, in, the Romans, instead of allowing uh, the, uh, the eldest child to inherit after Herod the Great, they, they split up the kingdom. Uh, and uh, and essentially the Romans took, took charge once Herod the, the Great died. Um, there was a brief period uh, where Herod Agrippa uh, was um, uh, made uh, king of Judea for about, about four years in the, in, the, uh, in the 1840s. But for the rest of the time, uh, essentially, uh, Judea was a Roman sub-province ruled from Syria by the proconsul of Syria. So it's not like this was uh, something new. I mean, of course, the the Jewish people aren't happy. No one likes to be conquered and, and occupied, but this is not like it just happened. I mean, it sounded like it, they, the Romans had been there for a while. But if I remember correctly from your book, Rome did give uh, Jerusalem certain exemptions in trying to pacify them, because obviously there was the images of their gods. But So Rome did try, I think, with Jerusalem that they didn't do in other places to give them exemptions, so hopefully it would keep them happy. But clearly it wasn't enough. Yeah, as you say, it's it's an occupied country, and and and, and nobody likes to have the country <laughs> occupied. But, but right. going, going back to Julius Caesar, uh, he had um, 
his bacon had been saved by Herod the Great's father. Uh, uh, Caesar had been uh, trapped in Egypt, and uh, uh, Herod the Great's father brought a, a, an army, a Jewish army, down and, and uh, literally saved him. So, in uh, in payment for that, he uh, granted uh, the Jews throughout the empire exemption from military service uh, and uh, and various other. Uh, Privileges, and th- and this was confirmed by Mark Antony when he in- was in charge in the Roman East, and all the Roman emperors had uh, um, renewed these privileges. And uh, one of the priv- privileges uh, that uh, related to Jerusalem being the Jewish holy city, city, um, uh, you, know, you do remember a certain uh, commandment which says uh, you shall not w- worship uh, graven images. And as far as the uh, the, uh, the Jews were concerned, any representation of a, of a, a living being, a human being or an animal, uh, was, uh, was sacrilegious. And, of course, the, the Roman military standards uh, were adorned with eagles and uh, uh, human hands and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and various a- animals. And uh, so when the, the Roman troops that were based at Jerusalem uh, marched through the city, uh, they had to cover these their standards so that the uh, the, the Jews didn't see these graven images, uh, and uh, so this right up to the 1860s, uh, these rites uh, had been continued to, to be enjoyed uh, by by the Jews. Although I seem, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, sorry, Cam. That's right. No, I, I seem to recall, you know, over the course of this series that we've been doing, there have been certain instances where the Jews and the Romans didn't get along. I think there was something under Tiberius from memory where he expelled a bunch of Jews from Rome, and it was sort of very murky, is my recollection. Almost every other emperor, at some one time or another, would expel the Jews from Rome. Uh, and uh, by the time of Claudius, the Jews were not allowed to live in Rome proper, and so there was a, actually a Jewish quarter on the other side of the Tiber uh, during uh, during the reign of, um, of Claudius. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the, their uh, their um, existence in Rome was was much more um, restricted. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about the sources for the war, Stephen. Um, I, you know, we're, we're big on sources on this show. We've in our Nero and Caligula series, we've uh, taken a close look at uh, the sources and tried to work out what uh, what aspects of them make sense and what don't, and where there might be some biases. Uh, who are the sources that you turn to for writing this book? So the most obvious one is uh, Josephus. And Josephus was a was a Jewish general, uh, only in his early thirties, who took part in the uh, the Jewish revolt, uh, and um, was in charge in Galilee. And he was uh, captured, and he changed sides, and then became an advisor to the Romans. Uh, and uh, later, for his services, he also predicted to Vespasian and Titus that they would become emperor. And uh, so that. Uh, uh, put him on the right side of the, uh, of the Roman commanders, um, and uh, after that he um, uh, he lived in Rome uh, for the rest of his life. Obviously, being a, a considered a traitor uh, by the Jews, his 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 uh, life in in uh, in Palestine would have been fraught if he if he lived there. He was given estates by by the Romans, so he changed his name. He he took uh, became a Roman citizen. He took uh, the name Titus uh, Flavius. Uh, Josephus, uh, and uh, the emperor Titus was his patron. Um, so he wrote from, with ab- uh, absolute inside knowledge of the uh, uh, the Jewish side. He was at Jerusalem uh, in the early years of the uh, early Roman attempts to, to take Jerusalem back. Uh, and then he was obviously just, uh, standing and sitting in the same uh, councils of war uh, where the Roman uh, generals were making their mm-hmm. plans. Uh, so he knew it from both sides. And also after the war, um, he, he spoke with uh, uh, and wrote, to, corresponded with uh, many of the, uh, the people involved, the, the Roman uh, commanders and uh, uh, the Jewish king, Herod Agrippa II. Um, so his... His inside knowledge is, is quite unique uh, f- for the period, but uh, he, like every, most writers, had a bias, and he wanted to please his Roman readers and also his Roman patrons. Um, so um, whilst he was pretty 
uh, graphic and uh, apparently honest in many instances. Uh, you, uh, time and again, you'll see how the you know, the the, uh, the horrible Jews you know, deserve what what they got. You know, this, this this seems to be the the, uh, the the writing between the lines of of his work. Yeah, I want to. I wanted to talk to you just about the credibility of someone who does something like that. If we were, you know, we we also do a show on the Cold War, and if we were saying, okay, so our, our only source, or certainly our major source for the Cold War, was uh, 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 an American who uh, changed sides in 1965, and you know, went over and lived in Moscow. Oh, I'm sure a lot of Americans would struggle to uh, believe his it, events. It would be very suspect. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, how do we? Uh, so there are other so- there are mm. there are other sources. There were the Roman writers, uh, uh, Tacitus, and uh, and various others. Uh, some of them writing uh, at the time, but others writing um, years and and decades later. Um, but uh, they tended to corroborate uh, many of the things that. Uh, uh, Josephus wrote, particularly about the Roman side, because uh, nobody knew uh, much about the Jewish side, uh, and also the uh, archaeological and forensic evidence that's come to light in uh, particularly the last 20 years uh, has tended to uh, to support many of the uh, the things that Josephus wrote. Um, so um, take him with a grain of salt, but until proven otherwise, uh, in some instances, uh, you know, he he, uh, he seems to have been uh, reasonably accurate. I know that, um, you know, we, when we were doing our Alexander the Great series, uh, I remember reading a section from Josephus where he said that Alexander, when he got to Jerusalem, you know, declared that Yahweh was the greatest of all the gods and he got down yeah, and all this exactly. kind of stuff. And I remember going, yeah. okay, well, look, Josephus's credibility has just gone right out of the window here as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. So he's exactly. not without problems, Josephus. And, and I get what we often say on this show is like, look, these stories, they may be true, they may be propaganda. All we can really say are these are the stories that have come down to us. Uh, take them as they are. Uh, we can try and pick them apart, but it's very hard to know. Things that obviously sound like bullshit are probably bullshit. and uh, But the rest of it, it's really hard to tell, I find. It is, it is. And unfortunately, he's the only source from the Jewish side. Yeah. Um, we also have Tacitus, and, though, and I guess, uh, who's... Not, not without yes, problems. He, he's, he's writing later. <laughs> yes. And so he's writing from other Roman authors. Um, and you know, the, uh, several of the, the commanders uh, and Vespasian himself. Vespasian wrote his commentaries, his, his biography, if you like, mm-hmm. his autobiography, um, which uh, Tacitus had uh, access to. Uh, it hasn't come down to us. Um, and uh, various other uh, uh, commanders uh, wrote their own uh, uh, commentaries, uh, which again haven't come down to us, but which the likes of Tacitus, uh, Cassius Dio later, uh, they had uh, access to the, to this material. So certainly from the Roman side, uh, we can feel that you know most of the information is, is pretty accurate. And as I say, so some of the archaeological evidence has, has been um, uh, uh, you know quite uh, uh, illuminating. What can it tell us apart from the fact that? There were battles in these locations on these dates, and some people died. What else do you get from the archaeological record? Uh, well, for example, uh, at uh, at the siege of Gamala, we hear about how the Romans broke through a particular section of the wall, and uh, Vespasian led uh, his troops through it, and then was driven back, and was lucky to survive. And they come out. Now, this is coming from Josephus, um, and only in the last oh, fifteen or twenty years uh, have archaeological. Uh, 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 historians and, and so on uh, uh, found the actual breach in the wall, and below the breach in the wall, there were the Roman uh, uh, artillery stones, catapult stones that had been used to make the, the breach, and then the actual harpax, the the grappling iron that was used to pull the top of the wall down, mm-hmm. uh, as was described uh, by Josephus, was still there. Mm-hmm in the ground uh, and so the Romans uh, and this this occurred uh, on numerous occasions during during the, the, the Judean war uh, tended not to gather up their their material again they could have reused the harpax they could have reused the 70 uh, uh, catapult stones they were you know, big 60 pound stones they must have taken enormous effort to chisel out of granite and um, 
uh, but they left them there, and uh, you know, they've since been found exactly where uh, Josephus said they, they were. Um, you know, the the, uh, the breach in the wall took place. Mm. Fabulous. Nice, S- Stephen. If I could, we've uh, touched a little bit on the relations between the Romans and, and the uh, people of Jerusalem uh, before the, the Greater Re- Revolt. And if you want to add to that, you certainly could. But I was reading your book, and I'm like. This seems such a headache for the Romans. What are they getting out of controlling this area? Is it, is it uh, just taxes? Other than that, but then, but then in your book, you you zoom out a little bit and, and you answer my question. Basically, the Romans are like, just in case anything happens with Parthia in the future, we'd rather do battle here than much closer to Rome. Uh, was the Romans uh, thinking of, of a much wider context in trying to keep Jerusalem within their sphere, within their empire? Well, it, it was literally, Jerusalem was Jeru, uh, literally a thorn in the Roman side. It, right. it was between their, their major province of Syria and Egypt. And um, uh, if, uh, as it happened during the war, uh, this war, uh, you know, Judea was, uh, was uh, uh, taken by the, uh, the local partisans and, and uh, that the Romans could not pass through. Uh, and uh, so it was, it was literally, you know, it was a, a, a block on the highway of the Roman East. And mm-hmm. um, so it was, um, it was an inconvenience. Uh, but there was also the fear that if, the, if the, uh, the Jews rose up there, there were large Jewish communities right throughout the, uh, the Roman world, uh, right. particularly in Egypt. Uh, and if the, the Jews were successful in one place, they were worried that they would... Uh, disrupt or, or, or uh, in, um, life in other parts of the Roman Empire. Almost like the domino effect of the Cold War. <laughs> exactly, and, and this is exactly what, what happened. Once the word spread that, uh, hey, Jerusalem's been retaken, the Romans have been kicked out, they're not so mighty after all. Mm. Uh, right. you know, there were uprisings in Damascus, uh, in Syria, uh, and particularly in Egypt, and uh, you know, tens of thousands of uh, Jewish uh, rebels in in um, Alexandria were killed and were put down very uh, brutally by the um, uh, Tiberius Alexander, the Roman prefect, who was himself Jewish. And what's amazing is that here we are in the 21st century and it's completely unthinkable that a major foreign power would be interfering in the politics of this region. So uh, there you go. Oh, yes, just, just, yeah, it's just so novel. Yeah, it? yeah, it's really hard for us to grasp that from this distant viewpoint. No, nothing has changed, no. boys. Nothing has People changed. don't change, exactly. as we say. Humans exactly. haven't changed much no. in the last 10,000 years. No, no. Well, yeah, we look at the political situation in, uh, in um, Israel today, and uh, as we speak, uh, there is a, a, a coalition of eight uh, mm-hmm. Parties mm-hmm. Uh, uh, looking to to, to uh, take power in Israel, and um, during the Jewish revolt, there were eight principal faction leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, guess what happened? You mm. know, interfighting, mm. <laughs> and uh, it, it ended in chaos. So one wonders whether the you know I, I do really really hope that this you know latest coalition works. Uh, but if, if history is any guide, <laughs> it's doomed to fail. Mm. Right. Mm. right. Speaking of humans not changing all that much in the last 2,000 years, because we started this um, this entire series with Gaius Marius, um, and, and one of the things we kept running into was it only takes one bad governor or one bad leader or whatever to cause some trouble because of greed, and suddenly an area is rising up. Rome has to raise an army, go out there and put them down. It's all brutal. There's It's just the cycle that repeated itself over and over again. And when I got to... Yeah, when I got to procurator, is it Gessius Florus? I mean, this guy was the wrong guy in the wrong spot, stirring up trouble. But I was just wondering, in your opinion, how much of this revolt can be placed at his feet? Uh, He didn't seem to love the Jews very much, but he had a job to do. But I think he was more worried about his own glory or riches to some degree. Yes, exactly. Um, And uh, he had no fear. He didn't fear his, his immediate superior. Because he'd uh, his job as a procurator of uh, Judea um, uh, through his wife's influence with the, uh, the then mm. empress, uh, and even though the empress died, he still felt that he had the the emperor's ear, and uh, could get away with virtually anything. And, and that emperor, of course, was Nero, uh, mm. and unlike uh, Claudius, his predecessor, who took a great interest in uh, politics and the affairs in uh, in uh, in, the, in the Middle East, and on several occasions found in favour of, of uh, Jewish. Uh, 
uh, leaders who um, yeah, were brought before him on various charges. Um, Nero had no interest in, in uh, local politics. And so Florus knew, uh, well, thought, uh, that he could virtually get away with, with anything, including breaking Roman law. On one occasion, he, he puts down a, uh, a, a riot in, in, in Jerusalem uh, by having... Uh, Jewish leaders crucified, and they were Roman citizens. And under Roman law, uh, if you were going to be executed, it had to be by decapitation. Uh, you mm-hmm. couldn't be crucified. But he didn't care. Uh, he, he, he feared nobody. Wow. So he's just making enemies for the state, left and right. The consequences be damned. And, of course, there are going to be consequences. But speaking of that... Um, this it's not like King Agrippa was leading his people in in a rebellion against the Rome. He's he's not on the on the rebel side. Was there a particular leader, a group of leaders? Was it a grassroots kind of anger at the Romans? What what would you say would be a good start or to explain how this revolt got started? Well, pretty much ever since the death of uh, uh, of uh, Herod the Great, mm-hmm. there had been simmerings of uh, uh, nationalism. Uh, amongst the Jews, oh, right. uh, and uh, we, the, the Zealot movement, you know, everyone's familiar with the, uh, the term Zealot, uh, mm-hmm. the Zealots were a, a Jewish movement that arose almost immediately after the, the, the death of Herod, and and they agitated for uh, to be free of, of Roman rule and uh, and restrictions, uh, and um, so one of the, the leaders that, uh, Eleazar, who, who arises during the the Jewish revolt. Uh, his father and grandfather had both been uh, zealot leaders, and uh, had uh, in, in the early days they were the, the Roman government uh, sought out these these people and, and executed them uh, pretty uh, uh, efficiently. Uh, right. But this, so you've you've got an underlying uh, resistance movement that's been that's been in existence for probably six decades by the time of the Jewish revolt, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, but then you have other groups. Uh, you had the more moderate group, uh, religious group at, at Jerusalem, who wouldn't mind a little bit more uh, freedom, thank you very much, but oh, but don't <laughs> d- don't offend Rome. Uh, right. Then you've got then you've got another group called the Scarii. The Scarii it literally means dagger men, and they were a cross between freedom fighters and and uh, uh, bandits. Mm-hmm. And uh, the saying, uh, the, the the phrase we're, you would be familiar with, cloak and dagger. Uh, exploits. Right. Uh, they were the original cloak and dagger operatives. Uh, they did not like uh, Jews collaborating uh, with Rome and, and getting privileges. Oh. Uh, and so, it, uh, in crowded markets, the Sicarii would sidle up to a collaborator, uh, pull out a knife, stab them, put the knife back under their cloak, and just walk away wow. again. Wow. And uh, so, uh, you've got all these different groups that. Uh, some were uh, fanatical about uh, getting rid of uh, uh, Roman influence. Others were, thought it could be an, a good idea if it could be done in a in, in a more civilized manner. I, I, I want to make the point, though, that this goes way back before Rome. In my film, I talked about like the the history of uh, this region and how. You know, the Jews had, had not had a lot of independence going back centuries. Uh, Persians and Greeks and Romans. And uh, meanwhile, they had these prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, who this warrior, great warrior king who was going to defeat their enemies and bring about worldwide peace and bring about uh, converting everyone to worshipping Yahweh. This and, and you know this had been going on for centuries, and except for some brief periods under the Maccabeans, etc., they they hadn't really had any independence as a nation, despite centuries and centuries of biblical prophecy. Um, the first thing I did when I opened your book was to do a search to see how much you had to say about the messiarch or the messianic prophecies. Wasn't a lot in there. It's not something that you really touched upon, as far as I could tell. I couldn't see it had a great influence. Uh, they they were cited by the more radical leaders. You know, it is written that you know, we will be free and we will rise up. Um, but uh, no one claimed to be the Messiah amongst all the the the, 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 the factional leaders. Um, so I, I didn't see that uh, those those whilst those prophecies may have uh, encouraged some, um, uh, I didn't see it having a a, a great influence. Mm. Mm. 
Although, uh, you know, Josephus says, uh, I actually went and pulled out my copy of uh, Josephus. He says, he's talking about Vespasian later on. He says, his words made sense to a moderate minority, but for the majority, sense had taken flight on the wings of the dream of independence and self-mastery promised by Jewish religious texts. So he seems to indicate that uh, there was like a, a religious uh, justification for you know, the revolt. And, and the, the, as I said, like going back their revolts over centuries, yes, everyone wants independence, but they also did have this, I mean, there were lots of different forms of the messianic prophecies. The warrior king was only one of them, but according to all of the scholars I interviewed for my film, it seems to be the, the, the most common or the, the, the sort of majority, the major view of the Messiah. Um, but and, but yeah. and, and I, I do mention that, that uh, they once the Romans had been uh, all the Roman uh, garrison at Jerusalem had been slaughtered. Mm. Uh, they then justified uh, what they'd done and uh, and convinced the vast majority of people. There were a million people in Jerusalem at the time. Convinced the vast majority that uh, because of the uh, the ancient texts which had, had promised them uh, self mastery and and and, and liberation. Um, that uh, it didn't matter how mighty Rome was, uh, Herod Agrippa uh, stood up in front of the, the people and said, you know, you're crazy, you can't take on Rome, they, right. uh, they either control the world or you know, the rest of the world fears that they will be conquered by the Romans, you cannot beat them. Mm. But the majority of the people uh, relying on these uh, texts uh, said, no, 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 it is written that uh, uh, we will be free and we will um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine, thank you very much. And they actually drove Herod Agrippa out of, uh, out of Jerusalem. Mm. Didn't want, to hear, didn't want to hear what he had to say. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, you had, as you said earlier, there were lots of different um, uh, factions uh, amongst Judaism at the time. The Sadducees were sort of collaborators, really, with the Romans in many ways, and they controlled the temple and those sorts of things. But uh, they were seen, I think, as collaborators by a lot of Jews as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And... Um uh, there were uh, Jews who, uh, you know, they were only interested in their own uh, position, their own privilege, uh, you know, their own little uh, little piece of power. Mm-hmm. Mm. If, if we could stay with this for a second, because when I was reading your book, I lost count of the times that Titus sent Josephus, and then Titus himself sent messages saying, look, this is going to end badly for you. <laughs> Let's stop it now. And and I guess, one of, and just based on what you just said, one of the reasons they kept turning down this um, offer of mercy, maybe they didn't trust him, but it was also maybe because it was ordained that they would be free. Um, exactly. I, I just find that fascinating. Yeah. Yes, so yeah, that... that- yeah, they had become they have become brainwashed, if you like. Mm, yeah. In, in, yeah, that, yeah, we will prevail. Yeah, yeah, mm. that, that, uh, and uh, yeah, Yahweh will uh, will uh, will find a way for us. I've got this right. other section from Josephus. He writes: Now, if anyone consider these things, he will find that God takes care of mankind, and by all ways possible, foreshows to our race what is for their preservation. But that men perish by those miseries which they madly and voluntarily bring upon themselves. For the Jews, by demolishing the Tower of Antonia, had made their temple foursquare, while at the same time they had it written in their sacred oracles that then should their city be taken, as well as their holy house, when once their temple should become foursquare. But now what did the most elevate them in undertaking this war was an ambiguous oracle that was also found in their sacred writings, how about that time one from their country should become governor of the habitable earth. The Jews took this prediction to belong to themselves in particular, and many of the wise men were thereby deceived in their determination. This is where he goes on to say, but actually Vespasian was probably the Messiah, uh, not a Jew. Exactly. But he was the one from the from their country. He happened to be in their country. Yeah, but it's but it, you know I, I think it's um, fascinating the, the the aspect of this where it was uh, for the from the sake of the Jews or some of them at least. This was uh, manifest destiny, uh, religious war. Their, their, their sacred texts had promised them not just control of Judea, 
but of the habitable earth. They wanted mm. they wanted to be the Romans. <laughs> they thought it was they, they should rule the world, not the Romans. Yeah. But like Ray said, it, like so many instances we've seen going right back to you know Caesar and and before that too, you know Pompey and. And uh, Marius and Sulla and the Romans are in these foreign lands and they're like, listen, listen, this is not going to end well. Just stop right now. Like, and later on, too, like <laughs> when uh, like in the, in the early fourth, late third and early fourth century, when they're having lots of problems with the Christians and the persecutions of Diocletian or whatever. And there's plenty of evidence in Eusebius and places like that of governors saying to the to Christians who were refusing to uh, sacrifice to the traditional gods, look. Listen, we don't care what you believe. Believe whatever the hell you want to believe. Just put the meat in your mouth and we'll call it quits and we'll go away. No one has to get hurt. No one has to die. We don't care. Just follow the bloody rules because if you don't, the gods will punish us and we'll all die in a famine. So will you just do the sensible thing? And people are like, no, screw you. And the Romans are like, all right, well... We used to call Julius Caesar. We told you, yeah, we told you. So. We used to call Julius Caesar one shot, one shot Caesar. You get one shot. You get one you shot. Get one shot. Yep. If you if you if you listen to what I have to say, everything will end. But but yeah. but then again, the flip side is, as you said earlier on, Stephen, no one likes to be occupied. No one wants to be oppressed. Even Julius Caesar in his commentaries on the Gallic Wars said the same thing. I get it. We're there. Yeah. They don't want us to be there. They, they want to rule their yeah. own lands. I get it, but tough titties. We're the Romans. So there you go. That's it. Brutal, but that's Ste- the way it was. Yeah. Stephen, if I could, one of the my favorite parts of your book, because I didn't know a lot about this going in. So when I was reading your book, it was truly a, an emotional roller coaster for me, the ups and downs and how long this war lasted. But... I know there's a lot of infighting between the Zealots and the Sicarii, but I was absolutely amazed in the middle of this war, which went on for years, the Jewish, various Jewish leaders would not hesitate to take an opportunity to kill each other, to kill each other's leaders, even though they need every man available to stand up to the Romans. Cam and I have a, or there's a saying that Cam and I say a lot on, on the show, and that's the, what is that? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You would yep. think for at least a little while, they could have put their differences aside, but no, an opportunity to kill someone who I guess worshipped differently than you was ju- was enough to justify killing them, even though you need all able-bodied warriors at this particular moment. Yeah, much of it was personal. You know, one uh, of them. You know, yeah, one of them. Uh, his father's been bumped off by the leader of the other side, but he's right. allied with him. And yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, don't worry. Yes, I, I forgive you for murdering my father. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, not a problem. Uh, oh, you want to yeah. come and worship in the in the temple, which I control? That's fine. That's fine. Come in tomorrow, and yeah. uh, the door will be open. Not a problem. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, guess what happened? So, yeah, a lot of it was personal. Um, uh, a lot of it was merely about, yeah, I'm cleverer than than the others. I know um, uh, better than the others. Um, so so uh, there wasn't a great deal of. Um, uh, you know, religious uh, you know, origins for for for, the, for this infighting. It was purely okay. power and and, uh, and and personal. Isn't it? A, right. It's a classic civil war scenario, though. Particularly a civil war in a country that's being occupied. You've you're always going to have a faction that sides with the occupation because usually they're profiting from the occupation. Uh, exactly. And then you've got the side that says, well, you're either with us or against us, and if you're siding with yeah. the occupiers, then you're an enemy of the people and you deserve to die. Mm-hmm. And and both sides were equally brutal. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's a horrific story. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, not not not, uh, not for the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the faint-hearted. Uh, it's... Right. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I know several uh, people have commented on on my first chapter where I talk talk about mm. how uh, Masada was ta- was taken and, the first time uh, and the the first time yeah mm. and uh, by the by the, the 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 Jewish rebels and and the brutality involved there particularly against a, a young woman mm-hmm. and um, uh, but you know it, it was it was you know, Deuteronomy says you have to do this so okay mm-hmm. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy says I have to do this. Mm. Oh, okay, mm. I'll, I'll do mm. it. Um, it uh, yeah, it is stomach churning. <laughs> we 
when we early on in our Caesar series, uh, people would sometimes write complaints to us about the swearing. Uh, they go, I can't put this on in the car with my kids. You guys swear too much. I'm like, hold on. We just talked about a whole village of people being beheaded and raped and having their hands yep. chopped off. Yep. And you're worried about well, your kids hearing swearing? <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> this is history. Yeah. History is dirty yeah. and messy and violent and bloody and, you know, that's just the way it is. There's no rules. Speaking of um, yeah. dirty, vicious and bloody, let's. What, what role did Nero have to play in <laughs> the revolt? So Nero is, uh, is uh, playing. He has, uh, at the time of the revolt, he has come to Greece uh, and he's decided he's going to win uh, the Grand Tour. And he wants to win the, the uh, chariot races, the singing contests, etc., uh, at uh, the four main games, the Olympic Games, uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's, and, and that's my goal too, by the way, for the next Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Yeah, and why did they take singing out of the Olympics? I think I mean that's uh, yeah. yeah, thank exactly. you exactly. And, exactly, and put in those strange people swimming with their feet in the air. And, you know, it's just <laughs> very odd. But. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nero, because he's Nero, he was able to say, normally these games are a lot more spread out as far as time. I want them condensed because I want to compete yep. in all of them. And obviously I'm going to win because I'm Nero. Yep. And then I'm going to head back home. I love that part of your book. Yeah. And in one of the races, chariot races, he falls out of his chariot. But guess who's given the winners? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great fall. You had to, to be there. Like it was, yeah. a, it was a, you know, he recovered well. You've got to give him points for that. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, so then, having won all the contests, um, he stands in, uh, in Corinth and delivers a speech and says, You're all wonderful people, you Greeks. Uh, I'm now freeing you from taxation. Can you yeah. imagine his, his advisors looking at him and He's what? <laughs> Was Seneca? Was Seneca was gone by this stage. A, I'm guessing a quarter of the income of the empire. What has it done? Yeah, it was a moment of uh, enthusiasm, I think. But yeah, the, the accountants well, yeah. and all the people, the number of crunches are going. How are we going to make well, that, this? Work? That that wasn't the yeah. first time. I remember we told the story a while back. Like literally in the first week or weeks of him taking the throne, he said he was going to end taxation. For everyone, I'm going to get rid of taxes. The people don't yep. like taxes. I'm going to get rid of it all. And Seneca had to sit down and go, um, listen, great idea, boss. Work, great work. idea. Love it. Love the way you're thinking. We can work with this. Uh, how are we going to pay the bills, though? I'm just wondering if you've got another idea for that. Because really? What, there's a connection between taxation and paying the bills? I No one told me that. Why didn't somebody tell me this? I'm the emperor. I'm supposed to know these things. Like Truman finding out about the atomic bomb. Why aren't people telling me these things? Anyway, and oh. Seneca said to uh, to Nero at one point, um, "You can't keep bumping off people because you think they're going to take over. You you cannot eliminate your successor. Always <laughs> will be one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that part of the book. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so now that we've kind of jumped into this, um, and I because I want to save, and I'm sure Cam feels the same way. We want to save a lot of the the details of this book uh, for the readers because it really was." Uh, a great read. I just sat there and burned through it in like two days. So can you give us an idea on maybe some of the earlier battles of, of the revolt? And I've got to ask, is anybody thinking like, okay, this could go on for years. We need to make plans. But it, to me, it sounds like from what you said so far, it's just nationalism risen up. People, and maybe some of them think they're backed by their God. This is their chance. This is their opportunity. Not too much thinking uh, into this. Let's just charge and, and kill the hated Romans and drive them from our lands. Yeah, and not only kill the Romans, um, you know, the, the, the Middle East and, and Palestine in particular uh, was uh, a mixture. You know, it wasn't all Jews. Uh, right. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the, the cities of, uh, of Judea had been originally settled by uh, Greek settlers. And so there were a lot of people with Greek background. A great right. number of uh, uh, Roman legionaries when they retired, uh, particularly uh, Syrians, uh, settled in, uh, in in Judea, um, mm -hmm. so you know, you, and then you've got the the, the Samaritans who uh, worship the same God as as the Jews, but believe that uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the whereas the, the Jews believe that Mount Moriah is the centre of the world, they, mm -hmm. they believe Mount uh, Gerizim is the centre of the world. So you've got all these different people living in, in, in the same cities, uh, and so it's um, uh, it's a real uh, you know, chaotic 
scene, <laughs> because not only are they going to kick out the Romans, well, while we're at it, let's kill uh, the, the Samaritans and let's kill the, uh, the Greeks, uh, purely because they are Greek or because they are Syrian. Uh, and, and while we're at it, let's loot and, and, uh, and make ourselves rich. So it's, it's just you know, uh, roving bands and early in the revolt, once, once Jerusalem fell, uh, roving bands of, often of tens of thousands just mm-hmm. arming themselves and just going out, killing and looting. And uh, so initially, uh, the, the first reports reach uh, Cestius Gallus. He's the governor uh, of uh, the proconsul in Antioch in Syria. You know, there's been this uprising, and he, he tries to dismiss it. Uh, he's not a soldier. Uh, right. He just likes a quiet life. Uh, and he's, he's in the highest paid proconsular position uh, that the Romans had, and he's been able to give jobs to all his clients, uh, and uh, so he's he's, yeah, he's enjoying life and yeah. not not really interested, and, and surely <laughs> you know surely the troops down there can handle it. So yeah. he then sends sends a tribune down to conduct a uh, an inquiry, and he goes to Jerusalem before it's it, it falls, but after an initial series of riots, and of course the the Jews are told uh, there's a there's a um, uh, a tribune coming to uh, conduct an inquiry. Everyone act nice. Yeah, yeah. Right. Be good to him. And so he's allowed to walk around in Jerusalem with just one servant, and I can't see any problems. These people yeah. are lovely. And so he goes back to Cestius Gallus and said, can't see any problem there. And mm. then, of course, within a month or two, we have the, it, it really uh, flare, flares up, and uh, uh, 1,500 uh, Roman legionaries are killed. Mm. And uh, Jerusalem falls. So Gallus now has to to uh, mount a, uh, an expedition to go down. And, oh, all right then. So he he puts together a force of thirty thousand men. Uh, some of them, uh, the worst and tiredest of, of his legionaries in Syria, plus uh, uh, troops from allied uh, kings. And he goes down and uh, he, he uh, gets to Jerusalem and he spends six days there before he's. And his, uh, the, the, of course, the gates are closed and uh, they're fighting at the walls. And he's right. then convinced by his, uh, uh, some of his senior officers that it's not a good idea. Let's, let's, let's pull out for winter. Let's go home. Right. And he allows himself to be convinced to pull out because winter is, is approaching. And um, the, the men who, are, who talk him out of it are um, friends of uh, Floris, the procurator. And Floris yes. doesn't want Gallus to succeed. Uh, so um, he sabotages the the, you know, the Roman war effort. So they pull out, and on their withdrawal, uh, the Jews think this is amazing. No, right. they're going, they're leaving. So mm-hmm. uh, they chase them, and uh, in the Beth Horon Valley, they, in particular, they they trap them. And uh, the Romans choose 400 troops to, for a suicide mission to hold off the uh, the the, uh, the hordes of, of Jewish partisans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gallus manages to extract himself, but he's lost thousands of troops. One of his legions, the 12th, uh, uh, has, uh, Fulminata, has uh, um, lost its, uh, its eagle, uh, which oh, yeah. is a huge disgrace to any legion. Uh, and uh, he, he goes back uh, to Antioch and, and just it's a broken man. Uh, right. And it's at, at this point, that when, when the conflicting accounts reach Nero in Greece, uh, but finally his advisors are able to, able to work out uh, come on, it's it's our people that have caused the problem. Uh, this is when he calls in Vespasian, who's in his touring party, and says, uh, uh, I'm going to put you in charge of the East. I'm going home. Um, uh, I have full faith in you uh, solving the situation. Right. Um, yeah, I love that part of it. It just shows that, again, Romans are human too. So you have this major war. You would think it would be us versus them, but there are Romans conspiring against other Romans. And you're right, it was to make him look bad, so maybe Nero would remove him. But you're right, so Vespasian's in charge. He's going to take his son Titus with him. And um, Vespasian's there for a year, but then your your book really goes into detail, and I enjoy this very much, when Titus is in control of the campaign. And I honestly lost count of how many times Titus was supposed to die. He runs headfirst. He's in front of his men. He forgets his shield here and there. He's almost hit by these darts and the, these other weapons. Um, was was Titus, is that the way a Roman commander is supposed to act? Because nowadays Absolutely. all the officers stay behind. Yes, exactly. And uh, there were very few, very few emperors. Uh, there were a few soldier emperors, you know, Augustus right. at the beginning, who, who led their troops in, in, into battle, but it was very, very rare. 
And his officer kept saying, uh, um, excuse me, particularly once his, his, his father uh, uh, looks like he's going to become emperor and then becomes emperor, uh, yeah. you know, you're his heir apparent. You know, stop. Right. You know, it's not a good idea to, 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 to risk yourself. Um, and it's ironic that he survived uh, battle after battle and, 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 as you say, people falling all around him. And um, when he, beca- he, he, he does succeed his father and become emperor and he dies within two years of becoming emperor. You know, it, wow. Uh, yeah, the irony of it. Because I just have to say real quick. So during the battle, when after like the the seventh time that he should have died he, and he didn't, I'm thinking, well, if Jesus is looking out for anybody, it's clearly <laughs> Titus because this guy is just dodging things left and yeah. right. Um, and, and, yeah, so, and, yeah. and 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 maybe maybe the gods want the Romans to to win after all, which is what Josephus ended up saying. Exactly. But again, you can you can slaughter a legion, you can slaughter 1,500 men, and you can you can slaughter a 400 uh, man suicide squadron. But, you know, eventually Rome itself, Rome, the empire is going to react. And I guess um, I just don't get how they thought they were going to win. Clearly, we all see it's like there's just no way this is going to happen. But I guess when you're wrapped up in the thing and the deed is started, uh, you see it through. Certainly, Titus had that attitude of seeing something through to the to the very end. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and this is what uh, Herod Agrippa t- told his people. You know, um, yeah, you oh, yes. cannot beat the Romans because you know, the, you know, look back through history. You know, and, and uh, uh, they had the organization, they had the resources, uh, and it's not about numbers. The uh, the Jewish partisans, there are only about thirty thousand of them fighting um, mm. in in Jerusalem. So the numbers were pretty much equal, you know, very similar. But but the Roman organisation, uh, uh, and when the Romans did something, they they did it, you know, with, with such efficiency. Uh, yes. they, they cut down every tree for you know thirty miles around Jerusalem to you know create timber for the uh, siege equipment and so on. And uh, and they also had access to supplies outside. They had cut off Jerusalem, and of course uh, within Jerusalem you've got. Uh, 30,000 partisans and, and, and a million other residents, including uh, um, pilgrims who had come uh, and were trapped there. Uh, and, of course, they don't have access to food, and they are starving. And whereas the, the Romans have the resources, uh, you know, not just in, in that area, but, you know, they can bring in uh, uh, material from you know, different you know, neighbouring provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the parts, and I won't go into this because I don't want to ruin it for the readers, but the, the when you describe the physics of a 60-pound boulder hitting a wall and doing it for days and not really affecting the wall because the wall is what, one of the walls was like 60 feet high and 60 feet into the ground. I mean, the Romans had to go through a lot, but again, I'll, I'll save a lot of that for the, for the readers, but if you could just give us a little bit of an idea of some of the last fighting uh, for Jerusalem, because I, I got to the, I enjoyed the part where the third wall is broken, the Romans are able to get in, but there's still those two other walls, they're much older, and they're much stronger, and again, while all this is going on, you know, Titus is losing men, because the Jews have this thing of hopping out of gates, and attacking and running back real quick, so he's, even though he's winning, he's still losing men every day. Every day, and uh, at one point, uh, the, the, the final siege of Jerusalem t- takes about four months. And at mm-hmm. one point, uh, several times he gives them the opportunity to, uh, you, as you mentioned earlier, to, to surrender. And mm-hmm. they you know, laugh at him. And um, uh, at one point, he, you know, his men must be exhausted. He's just lost some of his best men and, and an officer that he, he really admires, a centurion yes. who's been killed before his eyes. And uh, so he, he calls a stop. And so for three days, uh, there's a break. And um, because he's, he's uh, realized, oh, it's payday. You know, Roman, legionaries, Roman legionaries were paid three times a year. Right. And uh, so um, he, he assembles his troops within view of the walls of Jerusalem and uh, c- conducts a parade. So they come out and they put yep. their, their, uh, their plumes on their helmets and, their, and they're put on, on their uh, medals and, and they parade. And then each man is called forward in front of, of the, uh, the million Jews lying the walls of, of Jerusalem who are watching right. this. And um, and they go through this you know, for three days, uh, paying every Roman soldier, including the auxiliaries. And right. um, you know, uh, it, it must have been. It was impressive. And Josephus says, you know, it was hugely impressive. But, but you know, imagine what this does to the morale of the uh, of the people in, in Jerusalem. But it's also yeah. gives, his, gives his exhausted troops a break. 
and uh, and then it's back to the war men. So it's, uh, he, he was a, a very a very wily, very clever, uh, very astute uh, commander. Yeah, he wanted to break the will of, of, of the rebels. And that reminds me of when the, the sold, like you were saying, there's just over a million people in the town, in, in the in the Jerusalem. Um, there's about, what, 30,000 Romans? I'm not sure. There's about yeah, 30,000 yeah. uh, Jewish fighters. But when yeah. the Roman troops would get their food, they would walk towards close, just close enough to the wall where the, the people on the, the Jews on the wall could see them. And they would just eat their lunch, their dinner, whatever they had, you know, the bread and the olive oil. And these people haven't had a decent meal in months. And, and just another example of psychological warfare. So we're talking Absolutely. 30. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll roast the goats upwind of the city. Oh, that's right. That's right. So you've got 30,000 warriors on each side. You've got roughly a million people within the city. By the time it's all done, can you give us an idea? I mean, I know it's kind of hard, but if you can give us a a range or a scope of the people that died during this uh, great revolt. Uh, Well, hundreds of thousands die within, Mm. uh, within the city. And the Romans actually allowed them uh, to bring the bodies out uh, to be deposited outside the city for, for, for uh, much of the campaign. And uh, one gatekeeper who later surrendered said he, could, he personally saw 100,000 dead Jews being brought out to be, you know, for their bodies to be deposited. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, and, and they were just devoured by the wild dogs. And, of course, the Jews couldn't eat dogs. You know, that was right. prohibited. Or the horses. Or horses, yes. At yeah. one point, they, they, they capture uh, a Roman uh, cavalry troop goes too close to the wall, and as you say, uh, the Jews were expert because they were lightly armed. They could run out at great speed, and uh, they trapped this this uh, troop and uh, their horses and took them back inside. Um, they've got nowhere to ride, and they're not allowed to eat horse meat, so you know, <laughs> it's not much not much use to them. So the, the horses just you know, just starve with the with the, with the inhabitants. Exactly. If, if, and I'm sorry, Cam, this is my last question, but if we could zoom out for a second, can you give us an idea of how the revolt and its results uh, changed the history of the Jewish people? So once uh, in uh, September uh, 1860, uh, the city finally fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titus ordered it to be destroyed. So apart from a few sections of the uh, Palace of Herod, which were incorporated into the new base of the 10th Fratensis Legion, which was then based uh, on the spot, mm-hmm. the entire city was destroyed, uh, yeah, leveled. Uh, right. His name was changed, the name of Jerusalem was, was banned, and Jews were banned from ever set footing there again. And wow. uh, after the second Jewish revolt, they were banned from setting foot in the, all of Judea. Uh, so it was something like a thousand years. Uh, under Muslim control before Jews were allowed to settle back in Jerusalem. Uh, So that's how uh, dramatic the Jewish loss was. And uh, and maybe that was one of the driving forces, even when it was so obviously uh, obvious that they were going to lose, that uh, they they couldn't bring themselves to think of what could possibly happen to to their holy city and and to the Jewish nation if uh, if they surrendered. And of course, the temple was destroyed, and the temple was the the focus of the Jewish religion at the time. You had to sacrifice in the temple, etc. So, how do you be a good Jew when there's no temple? That was a, a exactly, major yeah. question that they had to answer, and obviously that uh, led to the development of you know uh, synagogues being the center of Judaism, etc., etc. But it. I want to talk a little bit, not just about the impact that this war had on the future of the Jewish people, but the history of Christianity was significantly affected by this too, wasn't it? It was indeed. Um, and uh, scholars are divided as to whether the uh, uh, the Christian population at, at uh, Jerusalem got out or was among those uh, killed or captured. Um, the prevailing thought is that, 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 uh, that pretty early on in the, in the revolt, the, the Jews uh, did uh, leave, uh, no, sorry, the Christians did leave um, Jerusalem. But there's really no evidence for that, is there? No, no, no. So, you know, Peter, it, it's assumed, I think, by most scholars that uh, in 66, when the revolt began, Peter and James, who seemed to have jointly controlled the original Jesus community in Jerusalem, 
were probably still there. We don't really know, but uh, they were probably still there. There's no uh, historical evidence of what happened to them. There's some stuff written later on by Christian saying that, you know, they were executed, etc., etc., but it's not really taken as being serious history by most scholars. Um, yeah, the, 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 the Catholic Church believes that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, Peter reached Rome and uh, it was... Um, Executed there uh, around the same time as uh, Paul, but uh, there's no real evidence of it. Yeah, no evidence for what happened to Paul either. Really, I mean, we've got no, no evidence no, of Paul exactly, or yeah. Peter's execution. But the the point that I made in my film is that regardless of what happened to Peter and James, this original Jesus cult, the the, the faction of guys that actually knew Jesus firsthand, which Paul didn't. Who, who, you know, walked around with him, uh, assuming he existed, um, they're all gone. They're, they and their, their friends, their colleagues, their students, their community, mm. all either wiped out as a result of this war or dispersed to the winds. And really, it's arguable that we never heard from them again, never heard from them at all, actually. This, we have no... <laughs> No um, textual uh, uh, evidence of anything that they thought or wrote. Um, And so the future of Christianity then rests on Paul's community, the Greek-speaking, non-Jewish Christians. Exactly, yeah. Who didn't, couldn't, most of them couldn't even read the Old Testament in its original Hebrew. They were reading the Septuagint. Um, no real understanding of Judaism, no really, un- no real understanding of the, the role of the Messiah, which is why my film's called Marketing the Messiah, because they had to reinvent what the Messiah, this kind of started with Paul, but they had to reinvent what the Messiah was, what he meant, how to worship him uh, for a Gentile, a Greco-Roman audience had nothing to do with Jews. Um, but if if this war hadn't happened and that original uh, Jewish Christian community had survived, uh, the future of Christianity could have been very different. It could have been Jewish uh, as it originally was, like a Jewish uh, breakaway sect as opposed to what it turned into. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, the argument, I don't make it in the book, but, but you know, the argument could be made that um, you know, the, uh, the fall of Jerusalem uh, led to the rise of the poorest uh, Christianity. Yeah, because there was I mean, that was the only version of Christianity really that was left. And I mean, there were different sects, obviously, that uh, went on for for centuries, and some of those may have been based on some writings from the original Jewish Christian community. We we, we can't really be sure, but it's fascinating. Do you? Um, you mentioned one of the legions, Fratensis, number of times. It was one of the major Roman legions that was um, based in this area. Uh, yeah. Have you ever read about uh, the connection between Fratensis and uh, the Gospel of Mark with the uh, legion and the pigs? Uh, you have to remind me of the story. Well, so Gospel of Mark, uh, the, for listeners, it's the considered to be the earliest of the Gospels. And, of course... Uh, the Gospel of Mark, most New Testament scholars these days, the general consensus is that the Gospel of Mark was written just after the destruction of the temple, round about, you know, 70 CE. Um, so, again, it's sort of written by a Greek-speaking uh, Gentile who's part of Paul's community, not part of the original community. But the temple's been destroyed, so Jews can't worship in the temple anymore. And he's going, don't worry about it, gotcha. Uh, we don't have to do that. We, we don't do that anymore. Now this is this new thing that we do that doesn't require the temple. Uh, but he's got this in, in uh, Mark 5.11. He says, now he's talking about this legion of spirits that uh, Jesus was uh, having a conversation with. And he says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged Jesus saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, the story makes absolutely no sense uh, until you get deeper into Mark and you realise that Mark is all parables, basically. The very, the, the very first time Jesus ever says anything in the Gospel of Mark, 
Mark 4, 16, I think it is from memory. Um, and because Mark is the first gospel, this means the very first words ever recorded, ever written down of what Jesus said. He basically goes down to the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. He leaves the shore as a group of people. He goes off in this boat and he says to his disciples, um, I'm only going to speak to the great unwashed masses in parables. I'm going to reserve the real truth just for you guys. Um, but then never tells us what the real truth is. So one of my assumption in reading that is everything that we hear is basically a parable. So when you read this, apparently one of the um, the mascots of Legio uh, Exfratensis was a boar, a wild pig. Um, so uh, Now, this, this is interesting. Uh, okay, so the Tenth Pretensis Legion had been formed in Spain by Julius Caesar, and it's uh, it had two uh, symbols. One was a um, a bull, which was common to all Spanish legions, and the other was a a, a galley, uh, which related to its name. Pretensis means of the strait. Uh, Momsen in the 19th century felt this was related to the Strait of Messina, um, but I. Uh, have proposed uh, in, in several books that it was in fact the Strait of Otranto uh, uh, when uh, the Legion was under, under the command of uh, Mark Antony. Um, so up to the time of the Jewish Revolt, uh, it's uh, uh, the Legion is using these uh, emblems. Uh, and uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it was one of the Legions involved in, in, in the Revolt, and, and it was the Legion left behind as the resident Legion in Judea at what was the site of Jerusalem. Uh, later, uh, over the gate of their, uh, uh, their barracks, um, it was found that there was a, a boar figure. And, um, but this wasn't the original uh, motive yeah. of the Tenth yeah. Pretensus Legion. So, it changed. Uh, mm. So some people said, ah, this is the Legion's uh, emblem. And uh, uh, um, others have suggested... Uh, and I have, have never found any evidence that they changed their emblem at any point. Um, uh, their coins, for example, right through that period, still showing uh, the, the, the coins minted for, for the legion for their uh, for their pay always had the legion's emblem, or often had the legion's emblem on it, and uh, it was still the uh, the, uh, the the bull and the uh, and the galley. Um, it's been suggested that uh, that the uh, the pig motif was put above the um, uh, the gate uh, of the legion base after the fall of Jerusalem, purely as an insult to right, Jews. Right, uh, quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> well, either way, whether it was there before or after, I, I take it as some sort of an insult to the Jews because of their ban from being yeah. able to eat pork. Anyway, yep. uh, I always like that story. So the the legion, uh, you know, uh, two thousand uh, and pigs. This it su- suggests to me that there's a connection there, but whether or not there is, we don't uh-huh. know. Well, yep. um, I guess that's it. We've we've gone an hour. I, we should let you go, Stephen. But uh, I, I echo Ray's okay. comments. Tremendous book, riveting read as yes. always. Um, I think this is your two thousandth book. Is that right? Gut roughly. <laughs> No, you got that wrong. One thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Oh, okay. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> it feels like no, two thousand. This, this, this is my forty-fourth book. Wow, that's uh, that's an incredible output. Well done. Uh, we uh, should have number forty-five. Well, number yeah. forty-five coming out in the U- U.S. in November again on Roman history. Oh, on what nice. particular era, uh, timeline? Uh, so this is it's called Constantine at the Bridge. Oh, Melvian. Uh, and it's about how the Battle of the Mulvian Bridge uh, uh, turned, oh. uh, uh, created Christian Rome. Yeah, where he said, oh, you gotta come back. hey, Jesus, uh, help me kill some Romans. And Jesus was like, yeah. hell yeah, brother, I'm down with that. <laughs> We've 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 talked about that story uh, a lot on our Renaissance show uh, too. So we should get you back on to talk about that. And also, we we should have got you on when we yeah, were doing Caligula because I know you put out a book on Caligula a couple of years yeah. ago. Well, there, there's an interesting story. Uh, so yeah, I did a, uh, a biography of Caligula. Came out two years ago, and it came out uh, and, and it did well and uh, well reviewed. Uh, and then it came out in Spain. Uh, this January, and the very week of the January 6th uh, insurrection, uh, the storming of the Capitol in uh, Washington. And um, uh, in the latter 
chapter of uh, my, the, that biography, I discuss the comparison made by others between Caligula and Donald Trump. Mm. Well, of course, uh, uh, the media in, in Spain latched onto this, and, and, and I was the hot property for a week. Oh, <laughs> Everybody good. wanted to talk to me about this, about this comparison between Donald Trump and um, uh, and uh, Caligula. Right. So, yes, so I have, I, I have uh, written about Caligula. Mm. Well, we would love to get you back on if you have the time at some stage to chat with us about Caligula because uh, great topic, fascinating subject. Yeah, yeah, yes, it's a fascinating time. Right, well, you're always... Uh, and and, and, mm. and also, the, uh, there are some connections to the Jewish revolt uh, in the story when you delve down deeper, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that when our Caligula series, uh, some of the issues that they had with him wanting to erect statues and banners and that kind of stuff. Exactly. Mm. And yeah. Philo of Alexandria going to chat with uh, Caligula. Love Philo. Yeah. I enjoy reading Philo because yeah. he was a great scholar. Yeah. All right. Well, we could talk to you all day, Stephen. You're one of us. You're a you're an ancient Rome nerd. We love that. Um, <laughs> you're welcome on our show to I, geek I, out anytime. I take exception to the use of I take exception to the use of the word ancient. <laughs> <laughs> as you should. Yeah, I know that. As you yeah, should. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very good. Thank you very much for uh, chatting with us, and uh, good luck with uh, this in the next book. Thank you very much. Talk to you again soon.